0: Welcome to Bible Study. This is Nick Rita, your host, and happy to be with you today. We are again in uh, lockdown here in Adelaide from where we are producing this program. And uh, we are thankful to God for technology, being still able to do this via Zoom. You may realize that sometimes quality of the sound is not the best, but uh, we want to share with you today and uh, want to allow God to work in our lives the change needed. We are going to talk about uh, education and redemption. And our hope is in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Redeemer. And uh, I pray that uh, today, as we share with you, we'll all get a blessing from here. I'd right, my panel today and uh, I will say uh, hello Marek, good to have you with us.
1: Lovely to be here and to join in the Bible study.
0: Share a little bit of your condition and the situation we are in uh, with the lockdown. Uh, How things are going in the hills because we are coming from different uh, parts of the um, city.
1: Well it hardly seems like lockdown. We have a large property so we're out there working whether it be on a tractor or working in the garden. It's actually a delight to have a little bit of this time to us, but we are very, very mindful of the fact that there are some people very
0: limited in their movement. We feel for them. Thank you, Marek. Will, welcome to the program. How uh, things are going uh, over there uh, on your side?
2: It's uh, going well, thank you, Nick. And uh, love to be with you as a panel and uh, to be on air. We uh, have a small backyard, and of course. Uh, <laughs> things have to be done, seeing you can't go out the front gate, we may as well get
0: done what's in the back. Maybe this is a time when we can um, yeah, put together a few things there. Uh, Len, it's good to have you with us also, coming from uh, Ingle Farm.
3: Thank you, Nick, and hello listeners. It's hot and windy here today, and because of the lockdown, I was unable to play, play golf this morning. So instead of getting up before five thirty, I got up near six thirty.
0: Yeah, good to have you with us, Len. Ken, it's a pleasure to, to have you join us also.
4: Thank you very much, Nick. It's great to be here. Up at Hewitt, which is just the other side of Gore, it's uh very pleasant, I think, weather wise, a little bit warm occasionally and I'm very fortunately retired so we uh, sort of don't have too many headaches with the current situation a well, as some of the panel are saying, we feel very much for all those that have got jobs or uh, had jobs perhaps and are really struggling today in our heart because every one of them. Mm. All right.
0: Thank you. Ligia, also, it's good to have you with us today, joining next to me here.
5: I feel very privileged and thank you for being part of it. And in this area where we live, it's so quiet, very, very quiet.
0: I believe all um, uh, South Australians are uh, very well behaving at this time, trying to get it over this as soon as possible and um, looking forward uh, you know, to, to see some improvements um, coming out. But also, I would like to just welcome uh, Brenton, and he's our facilitator for today, joining us from Mount Gambier. Welcome to the program, Brenton.
6: Thank you, Nick. Uh, Yesterday was an interesting day. I was at Narra Court uh, conducting a Bible study and doing prayer meeting when the news came through of the lockdown. So uh, I did 300 kilometres of driving yesterday in total, and it was good to be able to get my prayer meetings and uh, Bible studies out the way yesterday. Today, it's like the silence of the tomb down here. Normally, we're expecting uh, lots of traffic to go past us to St. Martin's Lutheran College, which is about 300 metres from where we live. Um, instead of that, the roads are silent. So <laughs> mm. lockdown is certainly having a very good effect. But it was very encouraging to see my neighbour over the fence, out at 8 o'clock, mower going flat out,
0: mowing the lawns. Beautiful. Thank you, uh, Brenton. And obviously, even though, as we mentioned, silence, it's one thing which we can say, the Bible is not going to be silent. And today we have a wonderful topic to talk about. And Brenton, it's over to you. Can you please take us through?
6: Yeah, thank you. Our subject today is education and redemption. Most interesting subject, and I'm sure as we go through together as a panel, that we will be able to share the insights that God's Word gives us in regard to uh, this subject. The the interesting perspective, I guess, is that the more you study this subject, the less you realise you actually know. But before we go any further, Len, I'm going to ask you if you would offer prayer for us. Thank you, Len. I appreciate it.
3: Father in heaven, although here in Adelaide today we are in lockdown, we're glad that you're not in lockdown. Mm-hmm. that your blessings still flow to us and we can live and move and have our being in you. We pray that as we present this Bible study today, that the Holy Spirit might inspire us to say the things that are good and right and proper. And we also pray the Holy Spirit might impress all those who are listening to make a commitment to you. These things
6: we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Len. I would like to offer a key statement before we commence our study for today. It says this, Heaven is a school, its field of study, the universe. Its teacher, the infinite one. A branch of this school was established in Eden, and the plan of redemption accomplished. Education will again be taken up in the Eden School. That comes from a book entitled Education, page 301. I wonder whether any of the panel have a comment on this. Have we ever thought of um, heaven being a school and the very first school that was established was here in Eden and despite the entrance of sin, that school is going to be resumed again when uh, the plan of salvation is uh, complete. Any comments on that from anybody?
3: I have read a statement which says... Throughout the ceaseless ages of eternity, we will still be studying and learning about the plan of salvation, which, of course, means redemption. In light of that, yes, I can understand that education in redemption will be a continuing, deeper experience.
6: That's interesting, isn't it, Glenn, because you have um, academic uh, qualifications Marek has academic qualifications and a number of others of us do as well, but the suggestion here is that, as you said, we're going to be learning throughout eternity. Yes. Uh, It blows the mind to think about that. Anybody else have a comment on that? Marek, do you have a thought on it?
1: Well, life is a school. (laughs) uh, It's a long, enduring school process that we go through and uh, from the moment we are born, the moment that we die, we continue to learn. And I think in God's plan of creation and, and redemption, it's the same situation. We started off learning at the feet of Jesus when Adam was created. Where did his knowledge come from? It was purely through, through communion with Christ. And I think that process of learning will continue as we uh, one day meet him in heaven. We will continue to inquire and continue to learn for eternity.
6: Thank you. Uh, Ken, you had a thought for us as well.
4: Oh, well, I just think it's absolutely amazing what is in front of all those who are saved and the wonderful future that lies ahead. Because we have a, a very small idea or a very small glimpse of the universe. Here we are going to be with the creator of the universe. And we're going to learn things that our mind can't even comprehend at the moment, and I think perhaps at the minute we may be in Grade 1 here on the earth. When we come to be (laughs) together with Jesus, we'll start to move to Grade
6: 2. Thank you, Ken. That's putting it in very colourful language. Nick, you had a a thought to share with us as well.
4: For me,
0: uh, Brenton, it's very mind-blowing that we think that we are the centre of the universe as human beings, you know, we, whatever we do on this world, we're talking about like we are the, uh, you know, the most uh, advanced, important thing, you know, because that's what reality is for us. It's what surrounds us. And we are thinking that uh, that's all what it is, uh, even though scientifically and um, um, people who are, uh, you know, preoccupied of learning more about other things and other worlds, we still think that we are very important. We don't understand that the whole universe, the heavens, God, the creator, is working together to bring us back there where his intention was to be from the beginning.
6: Yeah, thank you, Dick. I'm glad you added the words from the beginning because uh, the book of Genesis, which we're going to go to question one in, in a minute, Simply begins with the words in the beginning. Yeah, the Hebrew for for it is Bereshith. For those of you who might be interested,
5: I think that the plan of redemption we will uh, reflect more on even in eternity, because here on this earth we don't understand fully this plan of redemption and in details. And Mm. I look forward for that.
6: Yeah, thank you, Elijah. Most of us would not view the plan of redemption um, as primarily educational. However, it seems from the above statement that it is both educational, that's the statement we're discussing, uh, however, it does not have a graduate, a master or a doctorate program. I guess uh, in eternity we'll find out about more of that. The study of the science of salvation will occupy eternity. Len, you touched on that. Yes. What a privilege to develop our minds as God reveals not just the mysteries of creation but also redemption throughout eternity. We're going to now look at both the Old and the New Testament folk as we seek to understand more education and redemption. In our first question, uh, God created man in his own image and we find in Genesis one twenty six and 27 a reference and by way of comparison, Genesis 5-3. I wonder, Marek, could you take us through that? I know that you have a number of
1: thoughts to no. share with us on that. Okay, thank you, too. The whole basis of human rights rests on this passage that we find in Genesis chapter 1. If we are to be champions of the poor, of the orphans, of women, what is the basis of of extending and 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 suggesting that these people have special rights—is it because they're complex organisms? I wouldn't say so. We've kind of steered off, and we we suggest now that we have evolved and what have you. But that is not a basis of human for for our human rights argument. Instead, when we read this passage in verse 26 and 27, then God said, "Let us make man in our image, in our likeness." and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all of the earth, and over all of the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. When we think of an image, what comes to mind? It's sometimes a matter of looking into a mirror. We see an image. It's sometimes a matter of looking at a photograph a picture or a sculpture, there we see a reflection of an image. And what makes us human is the very fact that we have been created in the likeness, in the image of God. That is the definition of our humanity. Intellectual abilities, ability to engage in moral, making moral judgments and decisions, all of that is rooted in the fact that we are created in the likeness and image of God. And while speaking of that, we would be the first to acknowledge that that image has been disfigured. But the emphasis is that it has not been lost. It may have been disfigured, but it has not been lost, and it can be restored. And so even though we may not be fully like God as we were or as Adam was in the Garden of Eden, today our moral purity has been lost, our sinful Character reflects that, that we are not uh, reflecting God's holiness as we should. In our intellect, we have been corrupted by falsehood and misunderstanding. Our speech no longer glorifies God. But the beauty of all of this is that that image can be restored. It can't be restored by human beings themselves. It can only be restored by the maker in whose image we are created. So I, I just find this passage incredibly inspiring. Our yeah. sense of self-worth is defined right here in these two texts.
6: Right. That's, that's, that's very true, Derek Does anyone else have a comment on that? Will, did you have any thoughts on that?
2: I'm thinking of a, a text in First uh, John 3 where it says... Um, um, uh, See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. Now, what does that mean? That is what we are, he says. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. He uh, goes on to say, we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Now, Marica said that the image has been somewhat uh tarnished, tarnished but yes. we shall we shall see christ as he is and our growth our our aspiration is to become more and more like god in every way
6: thank you uh, will anybody else have any thoughts on that
2: well one of
1: the beautiful things here is that when god placed man in in charge and asked him to look after the created creatures the fish of the sea the birds there we see they that he gave him the The ability to govern, God being a relational God, not only wants us to be in a special relationship with Him, but also to be able to manage and look very carefully after the very things that He has created. Mm -hmm. And we know He created them because God loves us. He wanted to provide us with the joy and happiness of being able to enjoy His creation. But, you know, when that image was disfigured, so many things have been impacted and so the whole process of education and of redemption is to restore the image, restore the relationship, uh, restore the likeness. Uh, that's one of our duties, one of our responsibilities in, in this life. Uh,
6: thank you, Marek. I think that's a good thought.
1: Here's another thought for us
6: to think about. We won't spend any time maybe on it uh, in our study today. However, there's a very, very interesting statement in a book entitled My Life Today, page 100, I'm not going to quote all of it to you because I'd suggest that if you Google it and find it, you'll find it an extremely interesting statement. But the angels in heaven are looking on with a great deal of interest, not only at God's original creation, but at God's plan to restore man, as you said, Marek, to God's image once more. And uh, it is touched on in this particular statement. The word for image in uh, Genesis 1.27 was Teselem, which means shape, figure or resemblance. And likeness is the Hebrew word demuth, which means model, similarity. So we're made in the likeness of God. However, moving on from there, you touched on it, I think, Marek, or somebody did just briefly. Not only were we made in God's image, which therefore um, gives us certain responsibilities, as it were, we were also given work to do. And, Len, I think as we come to our next question, I wondered if you'd comment on Genesis 1, verse 26, specifically in relationship to the work that God had given man to do. We live in a society today where at any given time there are a very significant number of people who are unemployed. I think, Ken, you touched on it uh, possibly about the uh, the fact that we're feeling for people who have lost their jobs. I'm not necessarily thinking of them at the moment. I'm thinking of people who are now in the second or third generation who have never actually been employed. It's interesting that God's original plan was that man be active. I wondered if you could read that verse for us, thanks, Len, and comment on it as you see fit. Thank you.
3: God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them, referring to mankind, rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth and over all the creatures that move along the ground. And when we see a word like rule, it suggests becomes the boss of. But I think it means something far more than that. First of all, as I understand the account of creation, man was the highest life form God created on earth. Yes. And because of that, God gave mankind a commission to rule over or to be have dominion over, which in my way of thinking is more like this. Man is to be responsible for the rest of creation that God has made. In other words, mankind is the custodian of the planet. Now, I know we haven't done a particularly good job of that, I was coming, but
6: then I was going to say, what sort of job have we done?
3: Well, uh, if you go on YouTube, you can find some terrible things. Environmental damage that is just so huge. In fact, there was a thing on the um, radio the other day. Even our mangrove areas here in near Adelaide are suffering because of super salinity. Well, that's all man's doing. God never made it like that. Yeah. So mankind is to be responsible
0: for the rest of the planet.
6: Mm, good point. Nick, you had a comment.
0: I'd just like to refer to a couple of passages in the Bible in regard to the likeness or uh, in the image of sure. God. First of all, in Isaiah 53, talking about Messiah, talking about Jesus, it says that that was nothing to look at. I'm just paraphrasing here... Uh, In other words, uh, nothing special, Nick. Special, to attract. Mm-hmm. Yes. Special to attract, because we have that tendency of thinking of the likeness of God, that we have looked like God. Now, Jesus came on this earth, and Philip asked him, show us the Father. And uh, Jesus responded, you see me, you look at me, and you see the Father. Now, do you think that Jesus was referring to his person? Of course not. He was referring... Because he came here and his teachings were so important that even the teachers of the law, the most intellectual people of the day, they look at him and say, where is he coming from, you know, with that sort of teaching? Jesus was coming to restore the image of God to humanity because he was the one who came totally in a different manner than we humans are acting We humans are uh, treating each other, and that's the image of God. God wants to have that relationship Was nothing like how we look, but morality and the way we act, and we lost all of that. We lost all of that through sin, and that's what I believe in the likeness and the image of God. We are going to probably look a little bit more deeper into this today to see the importance of the teachings of the Bible. Thank you. Len? I'd
3: just like to give a little personal analogy here. My oldest son, Mark, said to me one day, you know, Dad, when I was about 16, I tried to do everything differently to you. But he said, (laughs) now I'm older, I find myself doing exactly the same. Well, he probably looks a bit like me, although I think he has a lot more of his mother's features than mine, but likeness refers not to just looks but how a person behaves and, and how they think.
6: So you're suggesting that when we use the term likeness, if I can summarise what we've said so far, likeness is not only as in form, as in image, likeness as in character. Are you suggesting that? Yes, well said. Okay. Joe, did you have a comment on this?
7: From some of the previous comments and what I read in Scripture, God takes our custodian custodianship very seriously of the planet.
6: Yes. Because
7: we know that in Revelation it says that he will destroy those who destroy the earth and have no respect for its its majesty and beauty. And, you know, God takes a lot of care. We also know in the New Testament that he sees a sparrow fall. But if he sees that, he sees also um, everything that's going on because he's watching and he's uh, caring for his creation. So I guess... Part of that restoration into God's image is also caring for the planet and the creation that is around us and being good custodians, as Lynn mentioned.
1: Thank you, Jay. That's a good thought. Uh, Just to counter a little bit of the humanistic perspective that we're oftentimes exposed to, it would be important to emphasize that when we speak of man being in the likeness or the image of God, it does not mean that God is in human form. Yes, uh, Those are attributes, those are the characteristics that God created in us, the ability to love, the ability to experience emotions, to maintain friendships, relationships, but it does not mean that God is in human form. The goodness does not stem from within us. I think that, that's, that's the distinction that I would like to draw
5: here.
6: And that's a good thought. Lydia. You, you had a comment for us?
5: Yes, when the image of God was lost in the Garden of Eden by Adam and Eve, Um, there was very much sadness in heaven. And since then, the entire heaven is working on this plan of redemption for God's image to be restored again in God's people. Mm. So it's going to continue until the sin is going to be eradicated.
6: Yeah, that's a good thought, Lydia. Joe, I think you had a further thought for us too. Hmm?
7: I was just going to add on to what Marek said: is that often God is referred to as an invisible God. We were talking about images, and uh, I'm just referring to where Marek was saying that it doesn't mean that we have to look physically like God, because often He's referred to as invisible God, whereas we are flesh.
6: Yeah, that's true.
1: He's
6: a spirit. Uh, Something further to consider, though. First Corinthians 15. When we are changed, we are made like unto his glorious body. It's going to be very interesting to see the body that Christ has in heaven because Paul gives us the uh, promise that we will be made like unto his body. And I find that a very interesting uh, text which I'd love to explore if we had more time. Question three, I've written simply in my notes this, Eden's school closed when Adam and Eve sinned, but our education continued under another instructor, Satan. What did we learn from knowing good and evil? And I had suggested reading Ephesians 2 verses 1 to 4. I wonder, Ken, if you would be able to share those verses and comment briefly
1: for us, please.
4: I'm reading from the King James Version here. Yeah,
1: that's fine. Can
4: you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins? wherein in time past he walked according to the course of his people, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others, but God, who is rich in mercy, or his great love, wherein he loved us. And again, uh, this, this is an amazing thing. It really tells us, I think, in very simple terms, that basically we were all gone astray, or had all gone astray, because Satan is the ruler of this world and we were following, most of us were following him, but not all of us at once. And God, his love for this planet and his people desires to save us all. So, regarding this, it's, it's the education he's trying to bring back the truth of being dependent, not him, and not being rebellious, not being self dependent. Because at the end of the day, every single thing we have comes from the Lord God Almighty. Without him, we cannot do anything. And I think most people in this world, unfortunately, have lost a taste for doing good. And that's really sad. I often think, many a time, if everybody just kept the second commandment of your neighbour as yourself, what a different world it would be.
6: It would, Ken. It would. That's certainly true. Uh, just a thought uh, before we move on, on that. Um, you all know the text from Genesis 3. We're not going to take time to turn to it. But it's interesting the comment that Satan, rather using the serpent as a medium, uh, said. He said, God knows that the day you eat this fruit, you will be like God, knowing good and evil. I believe that's the first statement of independence that we actually find in Scripture. Because the suggestion is that God is withholding something from you. Once you taste of this fruit, you too will know good and evil. Really what uh, the serpent was saying is that only God knows these things at the moment, but if you take these things, you will know them too. That, therefore, is suggesting to me that you have the right then to determine what is good and what is evil. Before, you've been told by God what is right and what is wrong. Now you will have the opportunity yourself to decide what is good and evil. I believe this is where self-dependence started, and culminated, of course, in Genesis 10 in the uh, Tower of Babel. Any other further, further comments on that one? I'd written in my notes this, the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. Do you find that that's uh, pretty important in the educational process?
4: I think that perhaps it's really amazing when you think about it. Here we have the God of the entire universe who knows absolutely everything, He's probably been around for zillions and zillions of years and forever, and yet he looks at mankind with such a love, even though we've rebelled terribly not only against him, but also in our planet and against our neighbours, and yet he sent his son to save that which was lost.
6: It really blows the mind. Len, you had a comment too.
3: I believe it's in the interests of Satan to withhold information about God and salvation. So to learn about the fact that Jesus died to save us from our sins is a big part of education because there are so many people who don't even know the name Jesus.
0: That's true. Uh, Nick? Yes, yeah, so I was just quickly going to say that uh, you mentioned about that Jesus came to restore. Yes. What uh, was lost. Yes. Just very simple example, practically, when you see a person giving their life to Jesus, coming from an, the old life, mm-hmm. you see a radical change there, do you? you do. I, I yes. personally uh, experienced myself when I decided to give my life to, to God. I'm not the same. Now, there is still a lot of work to be done in my a life. work in progress. <laughs> but the change is quite radically. Yes. And when you see that, even that sort of thing, to see what can happen in somebody's life, when they receive God, they give their lives to God. Violence can stop in the house. Uh, words, certain words may not be spoken. Yes. What about to restore the whole thing? What this uh, world experienced yeah. through sin? This is amazing. We, we may go uh, from a question and answer deeply here and there, try to, but just look practically at ourselves. Yeah. Just yeah. look practically. But our relationship with God, if today we are a bad person, but we find out, man, this is not good, doesn't look good, and tomorrow we, did, we decided to give our life to God, and we see, looking back tomorrow, man, was a better day today because of allowing God to make changes in my life. That's the education in, in redemption, because what's the benefit of education if you don't see any results? Yes. Here's something
6: to think about. We all know and we've all experienced both in our own lives but also in the lives of people that we've studied with, prayed with, tried to help and we have seen them give their hearts and their lives to the Lord. As you've said, Nick, for us as human beings to see a person give their life to Jesus and see the changes that the Holy Spirit is making in their lives is truly wonderful. But here's another dimension that we often don't tend to think about. That is the dimension, how does heaven, how do the angels view a person who has given their life to Jesus The old, and they're buried with him in baptism? The old life is buried in the water when they're baptised and they start a new life in Christ. Can you imagine the angels from heaven watching on this process? They know what the person was like before. They know what the person has now become. All of these things are object lessons, if I may use that term, of pointing the whole universe to restoring the image of God in man. They can actually see a living, moving example or exhibition of how man's image and man's likeness and man's character is being restored into God's image. Joe, I think you had some
7: comments for us. I'm glad you mentioned the Holy Spirit. I think that it's, very, it's vital because it's not for the lack of information. Man is transformed by the Holy Spirit because we know that in John 3, it says, you know, the light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because yes. they were evil. And so it's not information that creates that, that generates that transformation and restoration. It is the presence of the Holy Spirit. And because even when you give people, some people, and hopefully it's not me, all the information, they don't turn away and prefer their evil deeds, or I prefer to do, to keep on doing what I'm doing, rather than embrace the direction of the Holy Spirit. So I think, yes, I think that's pivotal. Mm. It's, the education is not just information, but it has to be a collaboration to actually surrender to god and allow him to transform us from the inside out because i can just change bits and pieces to make me look good but only god can create that new person
6: that's a very good thought joe i think you had a further comment
1: and information gathering and learning and education needs to be purpose driven we ought to attain the highest potential that we possibly can but what is the purpose in doing so it's to be able to reflect God's love. It's to be able to serve humanity. Uh, and so God wants us to develop our intellectual abilities, but the purpose of that intellectual development is to reflect His love, His grace to those around us. That information process, gathering process is important if it is directed in the right way, if it has the right purpose. If we want to reflect God's glory, God will enable us, provide that wisdom and provide the ability to apply that knowledge in very practical ways.
6: that's a a very interesting comment thank you folk for all your comments so in helping others to know Jesus because we know him ourselves and because to a degree we reflect his image we are again passing that on to those who don't reflect his image is that a fair comment we have a part in the plan of salvation our part is to I believe is to reflect God's character to others Very true. All right, question four. Will, I think we're over to you. Um, In Isaiah 11, verse 1 to 9, those of you who know Handel's Messiah, um, you'll know or recognise a piece of um, music from that that says, wonderful counsellor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace, amongst other things. But I wondered, Will, if you would just um, for a moment, share with us something from Isaiah chapter 11, particularly verses 2 and 3, regarding the issue of the branch. Who is the branch? And what was the wisdom that is uh, going to be exhibited by the branch in order to restore mankind back to God again? Thanks, Will.
2: As Bible scholars agree that uh, <clears throat> when, first, when Isaiah 11 verses 1 to 9, and I'm referring only to verse 1 and 2 and 3, There shall come forth a rod, that is Jesus Christ, from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, talking about Jesus, the spirit of wisdom, understanding, spirit of counsel, might, spirit of knowledge, and the spirit of the fear of the Lord. You know, I think that um, what Jesus is teaching here is a whole universe of knowledge regarding the plan of salvation and our relationship to God. That's a pretty simple comment because there's, it's very profound. It's but Paul, Paul says to us that Jesus, by his coming, has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So God is not only revealed through Jesus wisdom and counsel, he's open before us, and a whole universe of learning that will, of course, grow deeper and wider throughout eternity.
6: Thank you, uh, Lynn, You had a
4: thought for us.
2: All right. Now, this is slightly different, but it's to do with these texts
3: that um, Will has quoted from. The Apostle Paul refers back to this particular statement in Isaiah. And in Romans fifteen twelve he says, and again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule over the nations, in him the Gentiles will hope. You know, I've had um, several alternative thoughts about the root of Jesse. Who is the root? Is it Jesse or is it Christ? And it's interesting that there seems to be a little bit of a... Diversion, my personal opinion is the root of Jesse is the one from whom Jesse sprang, the creator. Jesus has spoken in um, First John, uh, so, sorry, Gospel of John 1, Colossians 1 and Hebrews 1 is the creator. And yet it talks about him coming from Jesse. Well, we know that f- from his um, ancestral line, He came from Jesse or David. He came from that particular line, from the Judites. But in another sense, we can see him as the one who was greater than Jesse rather than subordinate to Jesse. Mm, Good point. Uh,
0: Nick? I just want to continue on uh, what Will was um, uh, sharing there, and particularly from this passage in Isaiah. You know, the people of God... Israel, they were waiting for Messiah, and they all missed it out when he came because they were looking for the wrong thing. They were just looking for uh, for him to come to liberate them. But you you see this from verses, you know, 1 to 3. You see the language with so many years before the come of Jesus used in Isaiah saying that the one to come is to bring what? Knowledge. counsel wisdom, understanding, all of those things refer to what we are dealing with today, education. But the the people of God are missing the point. Are we going to miss out the point sometime, you know, instead of really understand that the plan of salvation for us is to redeem us, to rescue us from sin, but to us to be an example, to be a light, as we say from, you know, quoting the Bible, we need to be the light of the world.
6: Good point, Nick. The Hebrew word there is chokmah. I'm not going to go into that in great detail, but here's something interesting from the New Testament. I think we're all aware. James, who was the half-brother of Jesus, we believe, writing in the book of James, I think says in chapter 1 about verse 5, that if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God and it will be given to him freely. Now, this would suggest to me that God isn't just interested in us reflecting his image as far as personality and as far as uh, characteristics go. God is interesting, interested in restoring in us the wisdom that I would suggest has been corrupted by sin because he's talking, remember, James is talking to church members He's talking to people who claim to believe in Jesus as their saviour. And he's saying, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God and he will give to you freely. Lydia, in question five, um, there was a text that I would like you to either read or comment on, depending on what you're comfortable with. It's a text that we all know fairly well and our listeners probably do too. It's 2 Timothy 3 verses 14 to 16 where Paul is in a sense, giving his last testament to uh, Timothy because he expects to be executed not long after this. And he's giving Timothy some very good counsel. Uh, what does 2 Timi- Timothy three fourteen to 16 tell us? It mentions specifically
5: four key things. Yes, it says, 2 Timothy three fourteen sixteen. 16, but you must continue in the things which you have learned and be been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness so we observe here that as you said uh, before that paul is encouraging timothy and um, he says that uh he's addressing to to timothy that in verse 10 that but you have carefully followed my doctrine manner of life purpose faith long-suffering love perseverance and he's focusing in these four keys points that to follow uh, in the doctrine from the Bible, which is for reproof, correction, instruction, in righteousness. So his advice, it's very valuable for us also, that in, in the doctrine, in the, in the Word of God, we can find Jesus' example. And Paul was also following Jesus' example in this.
0: Just quickly, Brenton, before you move on, um, interesting, interesting for the listener, John 3.16. One of the most known passage in the Bible we call the golden verse of the Bible, and second Timothy is again three sixteen when you find that very interesting uh, uh, aspect of uh, the whole scripture is profitable, the whole scripture is profitable, as in John three sixteen says that uh, God give his only begotten son then all who believe in him will not perish, but have an everlasting life. You see, again here, the teaching, we need to, to read, not only sometimes literal, what, the, what it says in the Bible, we need to interpret the Bible. And, you know, those people who you have uh, done uh, theological studies, you know how important it is to be able to understand and interpret a passage of the Bible
6: nick that's a good thought but um you just touched on something nick that is vitally important and lydia read it earlier on all scripture is given by inspiration of god i think as panel we know something about what's called higher criticism of the bible now higher criticism of the bible i'm not suggesting doesn't have its place but if it is not uh Shall we say um, inspired and moved by the Holy Spirit? It is it is man's wisdom putting value judgments on God's word, and that diminishes, it destroys, it dilutes the power of God's word to do what it's supposed to do. Lydia, I think you wanted to comment briefly.
5: I would like to add that to understand the Scripture, like a let's say it's a codified word of God, is to Work together in collaboration with the with God in reading and understanding. So it has to be to be understood, has to be studied with prayer and with the help of the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, we cannot understand the Bible.
6: Very true, Marek, um, One of the people who's held up as, uh, shall we say, a paragon. Of wisdom in the Bible, probably the wisest person who ever lived other than Jesus Christ was uh, someone by the name of Solomon in first kings four twenty nine to thirty four it gives us a uh, summary of what Solomon did, even though many of the three thousand proverbs we don't actually have. I wondered if you could just uh, reflect on that particular question. First of all, or specifically, what was the the, Solomon, uh, the wisdom that Solomon actually asked for, Marek, in the first place? And what did God actually give him? And do we need
1: that same wisdom today? It's an intriguing story, uh, Brendan. It is. It is. I, uh, <laughs> I, uh, I, uh, I'm just fascinated when I, when I look at the story and, uh, and I read these words, Now, O oh Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David. But I am only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong for who is able to govern this great people of yours. You know, (laughs) here is an individual appointed a king who likened himself to being a little child, just not knowing how about how how he used to go about doing his duties. When he communed with God and prayed to God and pleaded for wisdom, not wealth, God was so pleased with that prayer that uh, that in chapter four we read, God gave Solomon wisdom and very great insight and breadth of understanding as measureless as the Sun on, sun on the seashore. Solomon's wisdom was greater than the wisdom of all the men of the east and greater than the wisdom of Egypt. You know, how is that for restoration of, of the image of God in a man? Mm, yes. You know, here is a young man who begs for guidance and insight because he feels no different to a, a little child. And God responds to that humble prayer and provides him not only with wisdom, but he also provides him with status, with wealth. And, and of course, people from all around the world came to listen to his wisdom you know what also intrigues me in this story here is not only the fact that he wrote 3,000 proverbs and uh, and over a thousand songs, but he probably was the author of the first encyclopedia. Yes. So we read here that he described plant life from the cedar of Lebanon to the humble hyssop that grows out of the walls. You're also taught about animals and birds, reptiles and fish. When God enlightens our mind and places that passion and love in our hearts. What will we do? We will love his creation. We will honour him for everything that he has done. And our wisdom will be reflected in our relationship, not only to to, to uh, animals, birds and, 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 and reptiles, but also in our love for people, which was something that Solomon's wisdom really is known for.
6: Thank you, Marek. Lynn and then uh, Will.
1: The more we know
3: the more we realise there is to be known. And I think when Solomon said, look, I'm just as a little child, in other words, I don't know much. The more we know,
2: the more there is, we realise there is to be known. I think many people may be challenged by the thought that uh, when we talk about the education in the Garden of Eden, people would say, uh, what sort of education can take place in the Garden? But we, uh, we have we have reflected in the life of Solomon that Solomon's wisdom was expanded by research and observation. And, you know, whole fields of study lie in nature before each one of us. You know, uh, Solomon observed all things. I recall that he said, go to the ant, thou sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. He did. Without having any chief officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers food harvest. And you know, what we learn from the creative works around us is of immense value to our education and spiritual development. Just to quote quickly what one writer wrote about a hundred years ago, she said, the hand that hung the worlds in space is the hand that fashions the flowers of the field. Examine under the microscope the smallest and commonest of wayside blossoms and note in all its parts the exquisite beauty and completeness. So in the humblest lot, true excellence may be found. Commonest tasks, wrought with loving kindness, are beautiful in God's sight. Conscientious attention to the little things will make us workers together with him and win for us the commendation who sees and knows all. Now, learning from nature lessons of life and salvation is is a wonderful thing indeed. That's what God intends for each one of us as we see the created works around us.
6: Thank you, Will. Our last question deals with the issue of education in the early church. We haven't got time to read the full uh, statement there. It's quoting from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 to 7. Len, I had originally uh, asked you to read that. I don't think we have time to actually read it. But if anyone, uh, any panel member would like to comment on uh, the approach, particularly found in verses one, two, and three of First Corinthians two, of Paul when he came to present the gospel to the people of Corinth.
3: Here we have the apostle Paul, a very well-educated Pharisee, and he's saying to the Corinthian, the people who lived in Corinth under his care, in First um, Corinthians two two, for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I think his statement brings us back to the education that is important. It's all okay to know all these different things, but in the long run it's worthless. He goes on to say in verse, um, I think it's verse 4, he talks about um, not wanting to know the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age, and then he adds this comment, who are coming to nothing.
6: Yes, I noted that too, Um, Uh,
3: Yeah. Did you have something further to add there? The sharp point of his comment is this. Worthwhile education is education in how humankind can be redeemed from the sinful state.
6: Amen. Okay. Joe. did you have any thoughts to add to that?
7: I remember reading this text, those texts earlier, and it just shows that Paul, he had tried reasoning with the philosophers, you know, with their own language, and then that didn't work very well. And so then he says, I'm going to cut back right to the basics. I don't want the truth to be tainted with any philosophy of man, and so I'm going to Give it to them as simply and as honestly, and allow the Holy Spirit to speak through me, um, rather than taint it with my own thoughts, my own education, my own good thought, Joe. Me, good with thought. me, with my ideas. I don't want my ideas to cloud the truth. And I think that was something that Paul had um, come yeah. to understand as yeah. he got on in his ministry.
1: At the same time, he was a powerful philosopher. He, he, he was. could take on any of the Greeks.
7: Absolutely,
1: their own very, very territory, and I love the little quotes of C.S. Lewis, who says, "Good philosophy must exist, if for no other reason, because bad philosophy needs to be answered."
6: <laughs> I agree with that. My final, <laughs> thank you, everyone. I had some final comments. It relates to the situation as not as we see it now, but as in the future. It says this, talking about heaven, there immortal minds will contemplate with never-failing delight the wonders of creative power, the mystery of redeeming love. Every faculty will be developed, every capacity increased. The acquirement of knowledge will not weary the mind. Amen to that, guys, or exhaust the energies. As knowledge is progressive, so will love, reverence, and happiness increase. The more men learn of God, the greater will be their admiration of his character. Isn't that a wonderful statement?
4: Mm-hmm.
6: I would like to leave that statement with us as a panel and with our listeners. Lydia, can you close with prayer for us, please?
5: Yes. Glorious Father in heaven, thank you so much for you having on place the plan of redemption for us to restore your heavenly image in us again, whatever was lost by Eve and Adam in the Garden of Eden. Thank you, Father. We love this to happen to us, to be restored again mentally, um, spiritually, uh, emotionally, and physically for God's character, God's holy character and um, his mental image God's law and wisdom to be in our minds, on our foreheads, and written in our hearts. Father, please help us to collaborate with you in this process of transformation, starting from here, from now, on this earth, through the education that you can place it in us, and also especially through the Holy Spirit, to be able to reflect around us to others, your holy character, your love, the Holy Spirit's uh, virtues. Father, our hearts are open for this transformation work in us. We want us to be like you, to honor you, to glo- glorify you, and praise your holy name here on earth and eternity father we trust in you that you'll um, accomplish your plan that you've having in place for us we praise your holy name and we thank you so much in Jesus precious name amen Mm. amen
0: Amen. thank you very much everyone for your participation uh, today and uh, for your input for this uh, Bible study we are uh, talking about um, things in the previous uh, studies about uh, the way God approached or this plan <coughs> of salvation for us all. We talked about the law as a teacher we talk about the word biblical view we talk about the master teacher Jesus Christ himself and worship in education and education and redemption. But we are moving to uh, another chapter next week. And please join us back when we'll start to learn to see our role as a church in accomplishing and have a part in this plan of salvation. I'll invite you all to join us again. And until then, particularly here in South Australia, stay safe and trust in God, Continuing to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. May
1: God bless you.